0: Today in episode two of Disrupting Recruitment, we're going to be speaking with Nathan Jefferson, talking about things like talent pipelines, meeting talent on the right platforms, recruitment metrics, what we should actually be measuring, funnels and candidate journeys, as well as the importance of giving employees a voice of their own. It's gonna be a fun episode, stay tuned. So welcome to episode two of Disrupting Recruitment with Nathan Jefferson. Nathan, we're excited to have you here today.
1: Yeah, I'm excited as well. I, so last year, I literally said to myself, one of my goals for this year will be starting to create content over the last six months on LinkedIn um, was to get involved in more, in more podcast appearances and events and stuff. It's nice to kick off the year with a with an appearance for a change rather than putting this thing together and being on the other side of the fence. So it's, it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, because you and Nate put together a show, The Content Recruiter, I think it's called.
1: Yeah, yeah, six episodes in now, and I guess the content recruiter and the reason for doing this was to try and get recruiters out of a reactive state, and we'll probably touch on some of this in in this episode, but trying to get recruiters out of a reactive state, I know from experience with 10 years of recruitment, both agency and in-house now, and just a feeling that recruiters have when they're constantly reacting to the needs of a business and, and constantly trying to go or trying to run with the same tactics, like going cold outbound to candidates and then having wrecks stack up on top of each other and having to constantly churn through that that hamster wheel kind of environment where they always just feel out of control. And inevitably, you've just seen too many times and way too many people like in my inbox at the moment, I don't know how you feel about it, Brad, but way too many recruiters coming in and saying, look, I felt the same. I also feel burnt out. I'm constantly like hopping jobs, looking for the next company. And and, and actually the way we recruit stage just, just isn't working for a lot of people, both recruiters and candidates. And so we set up that podcast to try and give away some of the tactics and the frameworks that, that I'm using and that Nate's operating with it before you apply. And it's good fun, enjoying it.
0: Yeah, it's a good show. I've listened and it's on my list. So if it's not on your list yet, put it on there. So that's actually a a good point because that's where I wanted to start today. I have this mission in life to try to get recruitment from a reactive state to a proactive state. But why does recruitment continue to be such a reactive state? It seems we look for a marketing coordinator when our current marketing coordinator quits. And that's well, the best time to find a job is when you have a job. Why is it not the best time to look for talent when you don't need it?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, there was one experience in my recruiting career, sorry, main house freelance career that I look back on and I can't, for some reason, I can't shake this thing from my memory when I think of like this example, but it was a sales director who, everyone knows how to recruit, just like everyone's a marketer. But this sales director was like, hey, we're gonna be hiring in the next like six months can you go and just pipeline talent for when we're ready? So basically go get people, put them in the ATS. And when we're ready, we'll make the call and they'll jump because we're hiring and we're a business and we've got this great opportunity. And the reality is nobody cared. Like no, nobody cared about the opportunity. And it was the worst way to try and like building pipelines without engagement just didn't work. It just never, nothing happened. And And so at that point, I think that was the moment in my career. I was like, This isn't, like, this isn't working. Something needs to change at this stage. But to go back to your question, like why are we in this reactive state? I think there are a few reasons. And I think the main reason is a lot of TA leaders have just gone through that process. Like a lot of TA leaders have been in that motion of finding talent by going cold outbound, finding talent by headhunting, finding talent using those methods that we see today that are so prevalent across most TA teams and actually it's only it's only really been the last couple of years that I've seen more of a movement of marketing getting involved in recruitment teams in a more sort of cursory way and and, and genuinely putting effort and some strategy behind it to actually drive that that qualified inbound pipeline that TA teams need to be more effective But, and I think that's the route out by the way I think that's the way they get into that that proactive state that you speak about, Brad, is is by um, leading with more content initiatives and no doubt we can go into those as well. But, but certainly today, I think most TA teams are still in that reactive state. And I think it probably is something that comes from the top and filters down.
0: Yeah, because historically the only way they built pipelines was, and I was talking to a company the other day that's doing this and, it, I, and I've tried to figure out a gentle way to. Encourage them not to. Is we're gonna need a, we're gonna need a, TA leader. We're gonna need a sales engineer. We're gonna need a developer. We're gonna need whatever. In six months, let's put out job ads now and collect resumes, and then we'll just start calling everybody when we need them. And and that's such a brand damaging tactic, that really people need to be more. They they need to get a little more out in front of it and provide value to their potential audience of whatever role they constantly hire for or know they're going to be hiring for. And I think in the, like in the startup community, it's easy because you know that you've got a funding round coming and you're going to be hiring sales engineers, get out in front of it now. But it's been historically, somebody quit we need to replace that role or we picked up a new contract and we need to fill this role to be able to meet those expectations so let's hire and it's speed wins and first try to be the first to get that passive talent which is really all you're doing is trying to get active talent but and we well, could they- riff about passive and active for days I'm sure
1: <laughs> yeah it's going down that the, the rabbit hole with that one, are we? No clear definition <laughs> about either of those things, what makes someone active or what makes them passive. What I keep going back to here is that human behavior and the lack of thought recruitment teams actually give it. So an example of that would be, I know when I was looking for my, if I was unhappy in a role and I was looking for my next job, after a long day, you've been recruiting all day, you've been speaking to people, you get home, you've got kids at home, you've not had any food yet, you've not seen your partner all day, you are probably tired, you sit down at nine o'clock on the sofa. What's the last thing you want to do at that point? <laughs> is go through a job board wherever you are in the world, seek in Australia or indeed and in, in, in wherever. The last thing you want to do is scroll through a job board and go find and go find new opportunities. Like your mind just isn't there like you you're feeling a whole range of emotions you're probably feeling a little bit down and and a little bit frustrated and you need to make a change but but you're not in that sort of frame of mind and and I think I think a lot of people feel that way I speak to a lot of friends who have that mentality of yeah I'm unhappy but I've only been there for eight months so I can't leave until I get to 12 months because it look crap on my CV Oh, that, a whole new that's conversation. An, that's another
0: rabbit hole. It's a whole new rabbit hole. <laughs> Re- but the, resumes, the visa... I, yeah.
1: But aren't these the things that people think about when they're unhappy oh, at work?
0: absolutely,
1: yeah. And so, and so my, my mind goes straight to this. It's like you've got, to, you've got to go and meet those people on the platforms that they're existing on. And I can tell you now it's a lot more fun. Maybe it's just mind-numbing. I, mean, I don't know. But it's a lot more fun to scroll through Facebook than it is to scroll through Indeed. There's a lot more entertaining content on Facebook. I spend most of my time there. It's where friends hang out. It's where I get messages. And and so just at a very basic level, that is where I think TA teams should be placing content to start enabling people to discover more opportunities in their business. Like whichever, pick a platform, pick a social platform, right? wherever your people hang out, wherever the people that you want to hire hang out, go pick a platform and start engaging with them there. And really using that experience of mine and speaking to some other people about how they discovered roles as well, there was just this common like thread appearing. But yeah, that, that's where it's that's where it took us to. And, and so we started doing stuff like that. We started running tactics on social and we started massively reducing our things like job board spend and, and getting out of those conventional sort of tactics.
0: Like anybody who says my audience isn't on Facebook is full of crap because everybody's on Facebook. It's crazy. But, but yeah, it, and even LinkedIn, like, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, but not at night, very rarely, unless somebody sends me a message and I go check it and then I happen to just scroll through my feed a little bit, but it's very rare. But that reactive state, I think a lot of it is driven by, and I want to go to episode one of the content recruiter, you and Nate talked a lot about metrics and the the ones that People measure our time to hire and cost per hire. And that time to hire is a reactive metric. It's just, it, it, they say you get what you measure. So if you're, if your time to hire is your focus, then your focus is reactive. So yeah. what do you think are the key metrics that TA teams should be looking at these days, if they want to get into a more proactive state, what they, what should they be measuring to be more successful?
1: So I think. This depends a lot on the business and the tactics that they use at the moment. I'm not... Time to hire for me is a... When you exist in a reactive state and you're running around the internet with a megaphone trying to attract anyone who's got a relevant keyword and their profile for a job is a really dangerous metric because you might be able to celebrate that you just hired someone in 15 days. Great, well done. Are they actually a good fit? Like, do we know that? Or have we put enough educational content in front of them to understand whether they're the right fit for the business or the business is the right fit for them? Or have we literally just gone through um, like super quick hiring process to get a bum on a seat and make a hire? And so that's why I don't like time to hire because it doesn't really tell any sort of story. And so we started thinking about, so firstly, the tactics that recruiters should be executing against, which are things like positioning subject experts in the business as creators and asking them to start to create like one long form piece of content, one piece of like anchor content we call it and and so that might be a podcast, it might be an event, a weekly event, it might, be, it might be appearing on podcasts, like whatever that thing is, get them in a regular cadence of creating stuff and from that activity you'll start to see more qualified inbound applications coming through and so we focused on that as a metric like what were the qualified inbound applications and qualified for us were the recruiters look to the profile. This person's come inbound and they fit the brief, like they fit the criteria. They've been approved by a hiring manager. They're moving to interview stage. So that is for us a qualified inbound application when they are get accepted to that interview stage. So I think that's the primary focus for us at the, at the top of the funnel. And then everything else for us, Brad, just move through the funnel. How do you translate that number to final stage interviews? How do you translate that number to hires? But really the two things that I'm looking at are are the numbers moving? If you are taking this content-first approach, are the numbers moving in terms of awareness? All the quantitative stuff, are they coming through to careers page? Are careers page numbers jump in? Are subject experts in the business getting more views on the LinkedIn content and profile? Are they the right kind of people that are engaging? All that stuff that gives you an idea of, as to whether the tactics are working. The two main things that we were looking at, really, are qualified inbound and ultimately hires.
0: It's like marketing measurements it's it, which is funny because that's what we're talking about and it is recruitment is trying to do what marketing has done but they want to do it with a recruitment flair and it's like why mm. Just it works here it'll work here too just do it this way and it's like every time a recruiter or a T18 tries to switch from one application system to another it's like how do I make this new one fit this old one? You didn't like the old one, so why are you doing that? <laughs> but but you mentioned the stages and the funnel, and everybody has different points on the stages, and, and we have certain ones that we call ours. Yep. But I know that you're not such a, a believer or a fan in the linear funnel journey. What's your thoughts on the Canada journey, and how does a company go about mapping that out to understand where to best point their efforts to pick that journey up for candidates.
1: This is funny because you might totally disagree with this. It's okay. And that's, no, I like it, that's good. And, and, and it'd be good to get your views on it as well. I think we are, I think it's a bit ambitious to try to understand where someone is at in that funnel. If you've got the conventional funnel, the awareness, whatever, discovery, whatever's in there, Brad, conversion part, whatever section... Sit whatever you call them. Yeah, whatever's there. Um. I'm not sure if someone is consuming content, like regardless of how much content they consume, that you can confidently say they are hire ready or they're ready to be approached by a recruiter. And that's certainly not the case if your subject expert in the business is holding a... I don't know, a, a CTO leadership podcast that people are coming to and he or she's talking about how to build you, your roadmap for 2022 or something, your tech roadmap. And they're giving away real tactical advice on how to do that. If people are coming along to that show and they're consuming that content and they're connecting with your CTO, that's amazing. But it doesn't mean they're ready to be hired. And so if you then send them a, a, a quick overview of the last meet or you send them a recording of the podcast and they listen to it, recommendation isn't for recruiters to then jump on the phone and go hey I know you listen to the podcast we're hiring for a python developer you want to join us it's just not it's not how we're seeing it working and so I think this idea of the funnel is I, I get it because it's you can see it and, and you can visualize what's going on you can almost contextualize how you feel or what stage you feel someone is up during the process and that's fine but before an application lands, I think it's really hard to place them anywhere. And I think you've almost got to take the view that these people are going to self-qualify themselves. And if they don't apply, you'd like to think that they're acting as advocates outside of the business to drive a whole new audience to come to things like the podcast that we spoke about there. So honestly, Brad, I don't pay too much attention to the stages. I think the stages when they're in the process and they're going through interviews and all that, you can map that really easily. But um, before they've applied, I, I really don't pay too much attention to it.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a best guess scenario. I think for me, the important thing about the stages is just to get companies out of the out of the mindset of I need to broadcast jobs, right? So if we have somebody that's in that awareness stage and you're putting job ads in front of them all the time, it's the same as I've been telling a story of Christmas shopping. I was buying jeans for my oldest. And they said, text this number and you'll get a 10% discount. So I'm like, sure, text the number. And so now like every three days they're sending me texts, 10% off jeans, 10%. I'm like, I'm not buying jeans now. I'm not in market for (laughs) jeans now.
1: 600 pairs of jeans.
0: (laughs) Yeah. If I go to your website and look at jeans and then you send me a text, that means more to me than just getting a text on a Tuesday afternoon. So. I think that's where we're at in terms of our advertising for candidates is that we're advertising jobs not lifestyle and we're we're spending too much time focusing on us and not them. So if we can get people in the mindset that they go through this sort of discovery journey and it is it's not linear, it's it is different for everybody and you can't easily map it out but if you at least consider it as, like I was saying with Travis in episode one, you don't buy a car because to- somebody at Toyota called you up and said, hey, Nathan, listen, we have uh, sales on Camrys today. You should come down and buy a Camry. Mm-hmm. You don't do that. And no. you identify that you maybe you're in a market for a car, whether it's you have an issue with yours, or your lease is coming up, whatever the issue is. So then you start to do some research. You start to check out what other, you notice every other car that's on the road, and, and so you go through this process. But if I'm just at that beginning stage and somebody's trying to shove a car down my throat, they're gonna turn me off. And and that's where we are right now with recruitment is that we're assuming that everybody's ready to be hired and we're shoving jobs down their throat. And it's, in 90% of the cases, way too early.
1: And where do you go from there? Okay, so Brad, I've just, DM'd you and said, Hey, we're hiring for a head of marketing. And you're like, No thanks, I'm not interested. Or best case you respond and say, No thanks, not interested. Worst case, you just ignore the message. Where do you go from there? Like, as a recruiter, what's the next what's the next phase of that conversation? What how do you then build trust with that person? How do you then Because you really you No? Well you don't. <laughs> you move on to the next person. And we're not in a world where it's a bit easier now, remote. More companies are adopting a, a remote sort of mindset, but eventually run out. <laughs> in terms of the skill set around your area, and if you're still office based around around that space, like you can't just keep hitting people with these messages. And and I think eventually, and this is interesting, isn't it? Because if we use that example and hypothetically, when that head of marketing, because there will be some people out there listening to this who will say, yeah, but when that head of marketing is available he or she will reach back out and you'll be the first person in contact because you've made contacts and they're now not your recruiter. That is absolute bullshit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen. Yeah. It might happen, I, doesn't. I but don't in, remember in every respects.
0: recruiter that's ever reached out to me for an opportunity.
1: Do you know what, Brad? I could probably name... Do so, you know what? That's a really interesting point. I genuinely could probably name three in 10 years. Agency. When I've worked in-house, sorry, worked in-house for five years, I could probably name three recruiters who reached out to me. And you know what's interesting about this? One of them's a guy um, called Martin, who is HR agency recruiter. And the reason I remember him is because he approached us and said, I'm building the HR community. I'd really love to invite one of your HR colleagues onto the podcast. There was no sales pitch whatsoever. And guess what we did when we had a HR role? went straight to him Yeah, and he was one of the, the other guy was a .NET um, developer recruiter, a guy called Ross in Manchester. He did exactly the same. He organized .NET meetups for developers. And as soon as we had any need for a .NET developer and we were struggling, we went straight to him. So these are the people that get my attention. The people that have built a following in an audience and the audience trusts them enough to hear them out and listen to them.
0: Yeah. So if I was a company that I've heard all of this and and other podcasts that are saying the same thing, and I think, yeah, you know what? I want to get into building content and doing this. The first thing I always hear is I don't have time to build content or what type of content do I even need to be building? What are your thoughts? What would you say to somebody that wants to try to get out of that reactive state and build better pipelines or whatever you want to call it, build an audience, build a community, where do they start? What type of content should they be focusing on and where would they get their quickest bang for their buck?
1: Yeah. So I can give you the the framework that, that we use. I think there's probably a stage before that thinking about it, because this is, we're asking a recruiter to basically like reverse engineer their whole process like we're not at, at this point we're not saying go find people for for roles we're saying go add value to people first they see your content you build trust and they come to you which is the whole point of this model but that's hard because you've also got to you've also got to convince and influence people internally that this is a marketing-led approach and so when you're speaking to a and a. 40, 50 year old market hey, uh, HR leader who's never done marketing in their life and saying, Hey, we wanna like reverse engineer the recruitment approach by you know, placing content in front of people that we want to hire first and, and ultimately they're gonna they're gonna convert in one, two, three, four months time instead of tomorrow. Like their initial reaction is gonna be one of like nervousness, it's new, it's not been done before, probably in that in that business. I think the, the advice that I would give to anyone wanting to do this is start small and start with a subject expert in the business that's genuinely passionate about what they do in an area where you ideally where you're struggling to hire so let's use i always use tech as an example because that's the space we operate in but let's just use sales and your sales director is really struggling to hire sdrs as an example i would go You've got two options here. The first thing you you should do is is go get some research in the industry. Go understand how SDRs are feeling, some of the challenges that they've got. Because my suspicion is this is probably a, a segment of people that are wanting to develop quite quickly in their career. And so go do that research. Go find out the things that are valuable to these people. And then once you've found that challenge, work with the sales director to start putting a, and event together, that speaks to some of those problems, almost reversing your L and D team, almost like putting your L and D function outside of the business. So you're basically educating people that you want to hire in the future. And you're giving them things like how to, I don't know, create a sales pipeline, how to speak to cold prospects, how to do all this stuff from a sales perspective. And so that's, they're the two steps that I would take initially going to understand the audience, uh, going to understand the challenge that they have. sorry, three steps, and then going to launch that initial content initiative. Once you've launched the initiative, you've really got to stick with it and you've really got to be patient. And I know this feels like a lot of work and there'll be people listening to this going, oh, why don't I just go and hack an SDR Slack community? Or why don't I go and hack an SDR meetup or something and go get some data? You can do that, but the lack of engagement and the amount of hires you're going to make with people that don't know enough about the business and don't have that opportunity to connect with the sales director... going to come back and bite you in the ass eventually either through retention or poor performance or whatever if you put the effort in to go educate real multipliers people that are really good who have the opportunity to go connect with your sales director in advance genuinely find that mutual interest and 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 share the same views on the mission of the business and the values of a sales director and, and genuinely feel like they can work together the business is going to fly and everyone wins so They're the three things that I would do at the very start, but also Brad, we can, I'm happy to give this framework away in terms of like distribution and how people then go on to distribute that content. Because there's a lot of things in the mix here. When you've got, when you've got an event, what do you do then? You've recorded this event. You've got 10 SDRs that have come along in week one. How do you then amplify that content? How do you then accelerate it through paid social? there's all sorts of things you can do to start building, uh, building that audience quickly, which I think will help recruiters get much quicker results as well.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that drives me crazy is companies that don't let their uh, employees have a voice. That's the easiest way to amplify your content. There's actually uh, a company out of Spain called Be Ambassador. I don't know if you've heard of it, but they're pretty cool because what they do is they allow you to connect all of your employees to the social and you can gamify your employees basically becoming your ambassadors. Nice. And I, I think it's a brilliant piece of technology because it's giving companies the leeway to say, we're going to still be able to track what's going on and have a little bit of control over it. But I want my employees to have a voice and this is the platform I'm giving them to use it. And you can encourage them to do so by gamifying it a little bit, saying whoever gets the most likes on their share or whatever, however you want to do it. But that's... To me, that's, people hang out with people like them, right? So if you want to get in front of SDRs, use your SDRs.
1: Yep, yep. And to your point, HR people, HR leaders, TA leaders, CEOs, CFOs, who have got this mindset that they, messages from their colleagues going out onto LinkedIn on brand or they could cause brand reputational damage or whatever. Like, what a negative view. Yeah. (laughs) It's not the most negative mindset, like worst case mindset, like you've ever heard. Who cares? Well, the thing is, how much content? Who really cares? We're in the midst of a political storm over here with, with Boris Johnson, who's caused outrage across the country. 48 hours on, it's starting to simmer down. And in two weeks, pretty much everyone would have forgotten about it. Like your sales director, who may have posted something mildly offensive on LinkedIn four weeks ago, isn't going to be like up against it. But I will say this. If you're serious about it and you want to take it seriously, go hire a personal brand person who's split between marketing and I don't know, your sales team. And then maybe that person could take a dual role and like educate people in the business on how to do this properly. And the tone of voice still remains that person's and they're still nice and articulate and they put all this great content out. I'm not a huge fan of that because I think it takes something away from it. And also I'm seeing people on TikTok, like crazy amounts of followers and audience, just being them. There's a girl over here in the UK who works for Tesco. And she basically wants to be like a West End star. So she wants to be on stage singing, doing all this stuff. She records herself dancing in store, in a uniform, on a phone. And she has got millions of followers. There's no downside there for Tesco, is there? No. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong. But then conversely, you've got the guy at Sherwin-Williams in the States who was like the paint mixing guy, who was paint mixing at home, works for Sherwin-Williams, got Sherwin-Williams all over his profile. The company finds out he gets millions of followers and then they sack him because they didn't want it didn't want him putting content out without being on brand
0: yeah you know who likes free advertising right
1: it's just, it's <laughs> i'd be putting a guy on commission for every sale i'd be like here's your 10 yeah. percent off if you use this discount code like it just yeah. doesn't but, the, but this isn't this interesting though in terms of where it's going like the the mentality of some businesses versus others and the ones that adopt these things will win like quite clearly they're going to win they're going to get the attention of their of their buyers or in this case, candidates. So it's just really interesting to see how this plays out.
0: I I remember 10, 15 years ago, a company here in in Canada called WestJet, who basically modeled their business off off of uh, Southwest. And so they created this marketing campaign around their employees being owners. And... You can talk to anybody in Canada, and they'll still remember the advertisement where Stewart found a ring on a plane and ran to the next gate and was like down on one knee giving the ring back to the girl, and there was nothing in there about come apply for a job at WestJet. Yeah, and I remember back then WestJet was getting so many applications they couldn't handle them, and but nobody was doing it then, right? And so if it like. It's crazy. When what, you see
1: those things, though, what do people think in their head? They're like, oh, that looks like an amazing place to work. Oh, I'd love to be yeah. that person who saves the day. Oh, I want to be... Like, they, all these things go through people's heads, which makes them make that connection to the careers page and go, I'm going to apply.
0: I saw a post today from somebody announcing that it's their first day at a job at this company, and they actually said it was it's always been my dream to work at this company. And that's can you really say that about your employees. Like you take a, take a look back, are your employees saying, I've always dreamed of working at this company. Yep. And that's that gets into sort of the demand gen stuff that we talk about. But I wanna wrap it up with one more topic that we talked about before we hit record. And if we could figure this out, we would definitely solve the world's problems. But I see this all the time when I scroll through LinkedIn, is I can't find a job, I can't find a job, I can't find a job. I can't find people i can't find people i can't find people where is that disconnect why is it that companies can't find people but people can't find companies that want to hire them what's going on
1: oh brad it's a tough one i think the disconnect lies in where people discover stuff now i I would love to see, I've never done this. We should probably do this at some point. I would love to see the volume, the numbers rolling through like generic job boards that recruiters use a lot versus social channels. Like people just aren't spending their time on job boards, are they? No. I, I I think, yeah, I'd love to see the amount of the average time people spend on job boards. We should probably do that at some stage and, and figure it out. But my suspicion is it's likely to be a few minutes versus, what, a couple of hours a day on social platforms. And so I think that's probably, I think if you can solve that problem, then you're going to reach more. You're going to reach more people and more people are going to be able to discover the brand. And there's so few recruitment teams playing on social that it's pretty much a, an open goal at the moment. It's insane to me how a few teams are testing different creative variants and different platforms to to drive new new awareness channels. I like it, it's just not happening, but like to your point, I think that's where people discover stuff and I think that's where recruiters can get discovered.
0: I my opinion on it is that recruiters are complaining that they can't find anybody but they're unwilling to change their behavior and still are using the same old methods to weed people out instead of allowing people to self-select out Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and so they're putting up all of these barriers and turning people down and saying we can't find anybody well because I don't know if you're A football fan you need a quarterback and you're look you won't settle for anything less than tom brady like yeah you need to we need to get to this proactive state where we have an audience we have a following and we're building this mutual connection between each other and then it just happens like a romance right you don't unless you're using dating apps romances happen over time right they you meet somebody you 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 start talking you start doing developing a relationship, you become friends and then maybe it grows into something more. But as employers and and, and candidates, we're looking for that, it's too transactional and it needs to become more relationship.
1: Is there a feeling, I know we need to wrap up pretty soon, is there a feeling that the way people view their careers now isn't probably as long-term as it wasn't historically, so you wouldn't go essentially spend 15 years in a company now? Whereas parents, grandparents, for like a job for life kind of mentality.
0: The old um, Rolex watch at the end. and
1: Yeah. You know. And I'm seeing a lot of movement in the open talent community space at the moment. And I wonder whether that's an opportunity that employers just getting badly wrong and, and missing in terms of, does every role need to be a permanent hire? Like really? Okay. So maybe that's something they should consider as well, but it's definitely interesting times ahead.
0: Definitely. Definitely. I really appreciate you taking some time to uh, join us on our second episode of our podcast. Appreciate you being an early adopter.
1: Um, I loved it. Loved it.
0: And I look forward to listening to more episodes of your show for sure. And uh, I know we'll stay in touch and maybe we'll have you back on in season two or something. Yeah, excited. Thanks, Brad. Loved it. All right. Thanks a lot. Cheers.